And so to like sit there and be like, oh, like it's not the rabbi, it's not the cantor, it's not the board of the synagogue or the board of the Hillel, it's us. We get to do this for ourselves and we get to create our own experiences. That was so powerful. And it made me, you know, everyone was talking about horizontalism and leaderlessness and it felt very like theoretical, but to have come from where I had been and to sit through that, I was like, oh, this isn't theoretical. It's like, this is what it means. It means that we get to take, you know, our experience into our own hands. And it's not about a particular person having the power to say yes or no. This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of our live event series. Haymarket Books is a radical, independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. Hi, everyone. Um, Thank you for joining us for this event with um, Jewish Currents and Haymarket. We're really excited to be here. This event is uh, sort of the culmination or, uh, you know, after party of a um, oral history where uh, the Jewish Current staff spoke to 30 something people um, to kind of answer the question, uh, what did the Jewish left learn from Occupy? What, What was the experience there and and how are we sort of living in its reality and in its wake today. Um, I'm Ariel Angel. I'm the editor-in-chief of Jewish Currents. Uh, I am joined here uh, by three amazing panelists who I was very excited to speak with for this oral history. Um, Start with Dan Saradsky. He's a web developer and digital strategist, as well as an advocacy journalist, digital organizer, and movement builder. He founded the Self Agency LLC, a boutique digital agency specializing in web design and digital strategy consulting for socially responsible businesses and nonprofits. Um, He's the former publisher of the web blog Jew School and the founder of Occupy Judaism, which we'll talk a bit about um, during this event. Tammy Shapiro is the program director for the NYC Network of Worker Cooperatives. Previously, she was one of the lead coordinators of Occupy Sandy, a citizen-led relief effort, as well as Rockaway Wildfire and worker-owned Rockaway Cooperatives, a worker-owned co-op incubation project with residents hit by the hurricane. She was also the first director of J Street U and one of the founders of If Not Now. And Audrey Sassan is the executive director of Jews for Racial and Economic Justice and the organization's first Mizrahi leader to serve in the position. She has 25 years of broad movement experience as a social worker, organizer, coalition builder, and campaign director on issues ranging from immigrant worker struggles and tenants' rights to sustainable economies and racial justice. Uh, welcome, everyone. I'm really excited to talk to you all about Occupy. Um, just as a a uh, way, uh, way of introduction, I think that the link to the original piece, um, the oral history is in some kind of chat that you can see, um, but if not, it will be. Um, I encourage you to read it if you haven't already. Um, hopefully 
in our discussion, we won't be kind of retreading too much of what's in the piece and more trying to bounce off of it. Um, but just to say a little bit about why we wanted to do this piece in the first place, um, you know, Jewish Currents was uh, relaunched a couple years ago with a mostly millennial staff, um, certainly the older the, the geriatric millennials, as we are now called um, in the staff, uh, was a lot of us were at Occupy and, and were very um, sort of moved by that experience. And we, in talking about it and in actually doing some research for another potential book project uh, on the Jewish left in the last kind of 10 years of the Jewish left, what we realized is that um, a lot of people's stories or the way that they kind of narrated their own stories um, about the last 10 years really started at Occupy, um, particularly people in um, Jewish organizing and in activism, but just generally people who were sort of like um, organizing around some of the main issues that that people on the left are care about. Um, and so we wanted to ask the question, you know, what was that about? What happened there? What were the ideas and relationships and, and skills and strategies that kind of came out of that moment? Um, and, and particularly, we all kind of had this sort of flashbulb memory of Occupy Yom Kippur as a kind of um, almost like an emblem of, of the kind of thing that we would see in the in the years to come in terms of public Jewish ritual, in terms of um, sort of the, the complete integration of sort of um, direct action and ritual and um, political messaging and, and, you know, the whole package. And so uh, at the heart of our oral history is this Occupy Yom Kippur oral history, but of course the piece, um, a lot more than that, sort of like the lead up and the aftermath. And again, I really encourage everyone to read it. Um, but without further ado, um, we'll just, I'm going to jump into some questions here. Um, so I want to read a quote um, from the oral history from Yotam Marom, who's the co-founder of If Not Now and a founder of the Wildfire Project. And he says, I wasn't thinking about being a Jewish person at Occupy. When I saw Dan and other people doing their thing, it felt to me like another one of the little tribes at Occupy that I appreciated and didn't want to be a part of. Like, yeah, cool. I'm glad there's a library, but I don't want to run the library. Um, so I, I read this quote basically because I think there were there were people who were at Occupy organizing as Jews or like um, that was part of the way that they were thinking of themselves in the space. And then there are people who were just organizers who happened to be Jewish. And so I, I was thinking that maybe you all could talk a little bit about the ways that you thought about yourselves in the space and, and the way that Jewish identity did or didn't play into factor into that for you. And that's to all three of you. Dan, maybe we should start with you since you were named by Yotam. How about that? Okay. Um, so the reason I think why I approached my uh, activism at Occupy through a Jewish lens was because I had been working in the organized Jewish community and my whole kind of social, um, like my social scene was all Jews because of just the position I found myself in. Um, and so um, I really 
you know, felt that the best way to organize was to organize my own community. So I started with the people who were in my immediate surroundings and that were, uh, that happened to be other Jews. And so I approached them through that, um, through that lens. I have to say for me, I had the experience of coming to Occupy and sort of seeing you, Dan, from afar and being like, so moved that there was somebody sort of visibly Jewish in this, you know, political context, which is something that I really hadn't seen before. And yet I was like, I can't get anywhere near that. Like, I I felt like I had to be really far away from it. Like it was, I was like, it was bringing tears to my eyes and I was like, I can't go over there. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, that was my experience, but I'd love to hear from, from Audrey and Tammy. Go ahead, Tammy. Um, Well, I would say, I guess I felt a little bit similar to you, Ariel. Like I had been organizing in the institutional Jewish world for years at that point. And I had left about a year earlier. And there was a part of me that felt like, of course, I could be an organizer in the Jewish world. You know, that's like a particular world. It's small. (laughs) Who wants to do that? And um, especially, you know, I was organizing at the time around Israel and Palestine on college campuses. And there wasn't a whole lot of organizing Um, happening in the way that I had been doing it. And so when I got to Occupy, it was actually in a lot of ways a way to, um, or as I was organizing there, I realized that it was, I didn't have to be just an organizer in the Jewish world. I could just be an organizer. And so for me, that was actually really, really important about Occupy that I could actually be an organizer. And I, it kind of, allowed me to see that I could be an organizer and it didn't have to be in the Jewish world, that it could be much broader because our issues are connected and I didn't really want to be in that specific space anymore. Yeah, that resonates for me. I, I'll say I, I, I remember reading Yotam's quote and being like, that's about where I was at. Um, and that's partly because of the fact that I, similar to you, Tammy, I was working also, I was working for both American Jewish World Service and Avodah. And um, it was a job I, you know, I really enjoyed. And it was, but it, for me, it was sort of like my, my, the organizing I did from, like I worked in the Jewish progressive world from nine to five. And then I organized in the broader New York City landscape from like five to nine. And that was that had become sort of my way of being for the last for the three years prior to to Occupy. I'd started there in 2007. And so in that time, I was really seeking organizing community. And I think we saw leading up to Occupy that there was there was you no know, plenty of good conversation about what it means to connect our Jewish values with our um, social justice orientation, a um, lot of a lot of money was being poured in, a lot of like, you know, resources were, were being put into that sector as it was starting to grow. Um, and a lot of people did great work in that field. But I, I as a I as Audrey was really interested in um, the organizing that was happening outside the the sort of bounds of the Jewish institutional world. And um, I think a lot about where like the US Social Forum was a year before, where you know there was sort of I was doing farm worker justice work at the time. That's where I was sort of learning other things that pushed me. And so for me, I was similar. I was like, wow, Occupy Judaism. Cool. Um, And I'll be over here (laughs) until, you know, and then of course, and of course I'm going to Yom Kippur. uh, So we could, you know, talk about that. Um, But it was, that's kind of how my orientation was. You're muted. Sorry. 
I want to read another quote um, from Liza Barrett, who um, was organizing with JVP at the time, uh, both, you know, generally and like a little bit um, at the site and at Ducati. And she says, I looked at Jewish events at Occupy as another opportunity to build Occupy rather than feeling a deep sense of Jewish identity in those spaces. The framing of the movement really flattened and erased identity. I was not particularly aware of any of my identities in the space as a white person or a Jewish person or a queer person. There was a sense that we were all just going with the flow together, which I think did not feel affirming to a lot of people. So I, I, I just wanted to like throw that out there, just like kind of widening the frame into general um, thinking about the way that Occupy approached identity and, and kind of with sort of class politics and 99% versus 1% um, being kind of like the dominant frame and all of the things that were and were not um, kind of captured in, in that dynamic. And I think there's obviously, you know, some of us still do kind of identitarian Jewish organizing. Some of us uh, don't anymore um, on this call, but I, I want to throw that quote on the table and, and see how, how it sits with you now. I mean, if you want, I, I, maybe I'll just, I'll jump in. I'll just say like, I think early on and it wasn't lost on I, I'm sure on any of the panelists here and for many people, it was a um, it was very evident when I when I first stepped into the Occupy space, I was very struck by both the like lack of age diversity and racial diversity. Right. It was like a very clearly like white and young space um, and lots of questions about class privilege in that space as well. Um, but the 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 compelling piece of the 99 percent, yes, was in fact that it did, you know, we whether you were a professional class or a working class person, you were still screwed ultimately by the 1% and, you know, the big banks and those who got bailed out. Um, and that's not like, it's not the same for everyone. And that was, you know, certainly true. And I, you know, I ended up, I think where one chose to put their energies at Occupy was in some ways just like a, what was what were you drawn into at that time in that moment? What did you feel like you were called in to do in that space? And I, you know, I, it took me a minute to figure out that I'm like, okay, this, the, the, the race and class politics of this space are interesting or problematic or both. Um, and I'm here, like, I'm not, I'm not leaving because what this is and what we're, what is, what seems to be emerging is important. And that is, that is very clear and potentially historic. Um, so I'm not going anywhere, but clearly we have some conversations to have, right? So I think like, depending on where you situated yourself, for me, it meant that I, I tried to seek space with the, um, the anti-racism group that was try, like trying, like start and stop, start and stop around what was going on around race, um, uh, at, at Occupy and similarly around around worker struggles, you know, the working groups that I ended up participating in were around worker justice and labor and immigrant workers. And over time that, you know, that that got more and more sophisticated and we ended up really expanding the like having a more expansive and a more sort of a, a deeper um, connection to the various experiences that were making up the 99 percent. But there's no question that there were some you know, some challenges there. And I'd be very curious, like I wasn't approaching it from the perspective as, as um, myself as a Jewish organizer. So I definitely want to hear if, if others on this panel were on that question. I think that um, 
you know, the, the, the critique is fair, but at the same time, I don't really think that I was using Occupy Judaism as um, a way to focus people's attention on Jewish issues, right? Like, like I, I was trying to bring Jewish values to bear on the social and economic justice issues that were being raised at Occupy. And so um, the idea, you know, I mean, basically, I didn't go there looking for solidarity, right? I went there to give it, right, to bring solidarity, to bring the Jews to Occupy. And I think um, some people may have confused that with, um, I don't know, uh, I, I think uh, when it comes to the, the uh, you know, this uh, nonsensical debate between um, class and race divisions and things like that, like had a really um, negative impact on the Sanders campaign, for example. And just, I feel like it's not a, like race and class divisions go hand in hand. Um, But like, I wasn't there through occupied Judaism trying to like address a Jewish issue in which we were experiencing injustice, right? Like, I feel like there were people who came with identity based issues that were relevant because they are oppressed people who are still experiencing that in our society. And I didn't feel like I was coming from that. Was being a worker in New York City, you know, working in the nonprofit sector, but still, you know, making a decent living, trying to use what I had available to me to help others who were struggling. Right. So I wasn't looking at it from the perspective of what can this movement do for me? What can I do for this movement? Um, the one thing that I would add is that one thing that I appreciate about Occupy in the moment of my life that I was in is that at least at first, nobody really asked where you came from or what you did before, right? And in most cases, when you're organizing, especially professionally, you know, you have resumes, you have things that people are looking at about your past. And nobody asked me that. What you were based on was the work you were doing and the reputation you were building. And of course, if, you know, I at the moment was unemployed because I had recently left the Jewish institutional world. And so I had a lot of time on my hand and I had a lot of experience as an organizer. And so I was able to use that. And that is privilege. Um, and, um, but I also in that position really appreciated being in a place where no one asked where you came from and people came from so many different places and walks of life, even with the relative visual lack of diversity that you would see. And then I think our identities became our work groups, you know, our identities. I, I was um, one thing you didn't say in the in the intro, but it was actually my major role at Occupy was the founder of Inner Occupy. And so I was organizing nationally. And a lot of what I was doing was trying to remind people in New York that we were not the center of the universe and that there were people organizing all over the world and that that was actually the movement. And so, you know, there were so many different levels and elements to privilege, to location, locality and um, positionality. I love that. You did that really well for the record. <laughs> yeah. And, and just for what it's worth, I mean, um, uh, in the interviews that we did, I think that people had a lot of um, positive, positive ways of discussing kind of like the way that identity was sort of off the table, at least in the beginning of the movement. And, and of course, like as, as things progressed at the site, um, you know, issues of, race and class and privilege and all of those things became, um, like a reality in a different kind of way. Um, but okay. So I, I want to move on actually to think talking about, um, 
sort of what was going on in both the left broadly at that time and in the Jewish institutional world at that time and, and on the like Jewish left um, as it was constituted in that moment. Um, I, something that I was really struck by and that I talked about with Dan when we did our initial interview was the fact that that the Jewish right was very much in commentary and these kinds of um, groups were very much seizing on Occupy as a, a way to you know, smear the whole movement as anti-Semitic, you know, like maybe a few fringe signs or or whatever it is. And and that um, it seemed like the the mainstream Jewish world actually really got behind Occupy and and really like didn't allow those um, accusations to to take off, which I think is interesting. Um, and like p- perhaps not necessarily something that might have that the, not the way that it would go today. Of course, Today, I think Palestine would be very much in the conversation in a way that it wasn't at that time. And we're going to talk about that in a bit. Um, But I do sort of wonder about uh, the way, I mean, Dan, you were working at Repair the World. Audrey, you were at AJWS and and Abu Dhabi at the time. And Tammy, you had just left uh, J Street U, right? I mean, you had had been organizing with J Street U. So, you know, how were you, what were the dynamics in those communities at the time? What were the dynamics in the broader left? And and what what was like changing through Occupy? What were you watching change through Occupy? It's kind of a broad question, sorry. But. So for me, I think there were a few currents that were going on in the organized Jewish world. Um, One, there was this movement towards more autonomous, independent Jewish communal organizing, where smaller groups of friends and families and communities would organize themselves into minions or or new initiatives to either express themselves in a religious or political way. Um, And that uh, came through in a political way, I think, through different groups. but you know, obviously, one that made the biggest impact was J Street, insofar as introducing a new alternative in the organized Jewish community to kind of the the consensus of APAC, and um, it was not welcome at all. And so you had a very large contingent of the liberal Jewish community that was like getting behind J Street and the organized Jewish community itself, like the major institutions of of the organized Jewish community that represents other Jewish organizations were doing everything in their power to keep J Street from having a seat at the table. And so it seemed like at the time that there was this big push where we were really going to liberalize the Jewish community, or I I don't want to say radicalize, but move the the Jewish community from a conservative position on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict towards one that was more sensible. Uh, And the, the reaction was intense. And I think we've only swung like so extreme to the right in terms of the organized Jewish community ever since then. It's only gotten drastically worse. Um, I think another current that was going on at the time um, had to do with um, questions around funding in the Jewish community, who was paying for things and the means by which they were earning that money and how it was being used to support causes that gave them cover for their uh, their conduct in business um, and how that was problematic. And I think a lot of people were having those conversations, uh, but there was not a lot of 
action happening. Um, and then I think the last uh, the last piece was um, well, no, I think I said minions, right? Israel, and then yeah, that, I'm good. <laughs> and Dan, you actually, I mean, like there was conflict with repair the world, right? I mean, around your activism at Occupy and particularly around like anti-Semitism questions, right? I mean, if I remember correctly. I don't think the anti-Semitism thing was the question because I think my my boss was was pretty with it and he understood what was what was what, but the board was not, right? The board was, you know, your typical Jewish millionaires <laughs> who were interested in supporting service, you know, uh, volunteerism without any kind of political anything attached to it, right? Just kind of an empty, um, an empty activism that didn't really touch on um, the, the the burning issues of the day. And so when we tried to convince them, no, you need to work on the burning issues of the day because otherwise you're not going to have an organization. Nobody's going to want to touch it because it's so, you know, tepid. And, um, and, you know, the board just resisted everything. And so I started talking about how there were these, you know, conflicts between the interests of the people who were funding our organizations and the interests of the people who these organizations were supposed to be serving. And it did not go over well. I did an interview with uh, Religion Dispatches, I think it was, and I, you know, had some strong words about Michael Steinhardt, who I am totally vindicated about. <laughs> Um, but they basically said after that interview, we can't have you out there insulting our funders and like criticizing them in in public. So it's either this or or Occupy. So I said, OK, I guess it's Occupy because I'm not going to compromise my morals anymore. I, I just I'll say I don't have a lot to add to that I, I, other than to say I've really been wrestling with this question. I'm like I, I, I was so compartmentalized that I'm having a, like I can't even I remember I remember so for certain I mean, I was working in this field of service and but 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 in this time. So just to piggyback off what you just said um, so eloquently, Dan, that like the like the Jewish community that was interested in progressive work was really engaged on this question of service. Um, of course, AJWS as well, Avodah as well, Repair, right? They, they, what they have in common is this question of service. But what they were wrestling with was like, what, what, with, what, to what end and what else? And, they, you know, those who were asking those questions were, were genuinely wrestling with like, what, you know, in nonprofit jargon, like what's our theory of change and all these questions around how service does or does not, you know, take us to the next level. Um, and I just think we're like, we have, we've gone, we've like, the Jewish community and institutional and beyond that has like engaged on these questions in the last 10 years has grown, has gotten much more sophisticated and are like, they're way past that preliminary conversation around, you know, to what end service and, and, you know, it doesn't have, is it an end of itself? Is there more to it? What does transformative change look like? How do we get there? I, I don't, I honestly don't remember one way or another. Like, I, I feel like there was a, a, a winking and a, a like, go, go, like, you know, like we're happy to see Occupy happening. And it took a few months before the Jewish world was actually celebrated, like the progressive Jewish world was celebrating Occupy to some extent. And, and those of those organizations that had 
people both at Occupy and at their organizations that were willing to hear it, I think heard it. Like we're like, yeah, let's lift up what's going on there. That's that's really edgy or, you know, it's like it's great to feel a little challenged because we really have to get out of our comfort zone. So I think that there are questions like that about like how do we get out of our comfort zone for the for people who are well-intentioned and trying to like genuinely ask some good questions. The questions around funding and the questions around other, you know, like long-standing entrenched issues like, yeah, the, you know, I think having um, this moment, it, it was going to take a lot longer than the immediate reaction to whether Occupy is or is not anti-Semitic or these questions that I, that I, I just don't remember that. I don't remember those conversations they weren't, they weren't front and center, you know. Um, just a few small things to add. One is that, you know, as you mentioned a year before Occupy was at J Street U. And so I was the the founding director of J Street U. And a lot of what I was doing was fighting with Hillel's about what we were allowed to say and not allowed to say within the confines of Hillel. And what I learned in a deep way through that time is that though old men or women with money got to dictate what the young Jews were allowed to talk about and weren't allowed to talk about. Um, and that was very clear to me. And a lot of what the work, a lot of the work we were doing was challenging that. Um, it was around Israel and Palestine, but it was really challenging that. And um, I actually, um, the summer right before Occupy, like right before Occupy, I was leading an AJWS service trip, um, and which I forgot about until this moment. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely in that space, um, I think, having come from a place where I was really challenging the Jewish institutional world, found myself in a position of like, oh, this isn't really where I fit, right? Because it wasn't about challenging. It was about service. Um, but the other piece that I wanted to pick up, because you asked about it, Ariel, is, um, is where was the left? And one thing that like I really saw was how the left shifted over the course of about 10 years in the relationship to, to Jews and in the relationship to Jews fighting around Palestine. Now. You know, at the first U.S. Social Forum in Atlanta in 2007, I believe, I remember having, and I was organizing around Palestine at that time, um, I remember having a conversation with a young, well-meaning, not Jewish woman who said, you know, we don't, um, we don't, we want to challenge nationalism globally. We just, we want to start with Israel as an example. And when I said, do you understand why Jews feel very uncomfortable being used as an example, she met me with blank eyes and had no idea what I was talking about. And that was a very, very important moment for me because I was like, the left has some issues and like, and it's not intentional, but it's there. And it was very hard for me because I was organizing around Israel and I was organizing Palestine and I was organizing in a place of trying to challenge my community, which meant I had to use language that my community could hear to be challenged. And the left did not understand that. And I was very alienated from it before Occupy. And what Occupy actually did, the reason it was so important that nobody asked where I came from is because I could enter a space that I had been so alienated from in the years where I was doing Israel and Palestine work, where I was trying to challenge that very thing in Hillel. And, um, you know, I don't, I wasn't doing Palestine organizing during Occupy specifically. I had been very like burned out. I probably still hold trauma from that time of my life. Um, but I can say like several years later, when if not now was happening and we were visibly challenging our institu own institutions, there were like, I got emails and communications from non-Jewish leaders at Occupy saying, it's so good to see 
your, com- you know, you and your community standing up against your community, which would just felt like a 180 from what I had experienced at the U.S. Social Forum in 2007. And I do think the relationships that were formed in that space, the like visibility, the, the really amazing story about Sukkot, like all of that stuff is part of why that transformation happened um, over that time. Yeah, um, that's a good segue into the Occupy Yom Kippur, um, into talking a little bit about that event. I want to read uh, just like a little, a few little short quotes from the oral history. Uh, one is from Hannah King, who was a young attendee of that service. Um, she says, that Kol Nidre changed my life, and I remember nearly every moment of it. It was the first time I had ever seen queer from people. It was the first time I had davened in public. I met many people that night who fully changed the trajectory of my life. I had spent many years in lefty spaces, neglecting to mention my Judaism, feeling that it wasn't relevant, feeling ashamed about Palestine. This was the first time I saw the possibility of being culturally and religiously engaged with politics. Um, And then I also want to read a quote from you, Tammy, um, where you say, I was at the time really deep in trying to fight Jewish institutions over what we can and can't say, how we can and can't run things. And then here was the service where we could say whatever we wanted. Something clicked for me that night about the power of what we at Occupy were calling horizontalism. So even though Jewish organizing was by no means the way that I was deeply involved at Occupy, the event itself really was transformational for me in understanding what the power of decentralizing was all about. Um, There's another quote that I won't read for time, just um, from Yona Lieberman, who's one of the founders of If Not Now, talking about how he was like glued to the live stream, basically in his from his dorm in Michigan um, and was basically like watching this from afar changed my life. Um, So there's certainly ripples. And I think like particularly in the direction of If Not Now. and I would love to hear a little bit more for you, Tammy, about like some of the strategy that clicked for you in that moment. And then maybe from you, Dan, about a peek behind the curtain about how that all came together. I guess at the moment it was less about strategy. And later on when we were doing If Not Now work, it became more strategic for me. But for me, it was much more visceral and emotional. It was such an emotional experience to sit through that Yom Kippur because I had been in this battle about what we're allowed to do and say and be in the Jewish community and like and very caught between the Jewish right and the left for for like 10 years. And so to like sit there and be like, oh, like it's not the rabbi, it's not the cantor, it's not the board of the synagogue or the board of the Hillel, it's us. We get to do this for ourselves and we get to create our own experiences. That was so powerful. And it made me, you know, everyone was talking about horizontalism and leaderlessness and it felt very like theoretical, but to have come from where I had been and to sit through that, I was like, oh, this isn't theoretical. It's like, this is what it means. It means that we get to take you know, our experience into our own hands. And it's not about a particular person having the power to say yes or no. And, you know, I was, I would say, um, what am I, uh, I like, I, I go to minions where I don't know anyone sometimes, like I like it's touched that world a little bit. And I realized that what was happening there in the public square was, was happening in independent minion team at the time, but I wasn't, I only started going at that moment. And so for me, it was sitting through that Yom Kippur, where I was like, oh, we get to create our own experience. And like, and, and I think I had had that experience in like 
other ways living in Jewish co-ops or things like that, where I got to create my own Jewish experience, but this was something different later on. And I can talk about that later. If we want to get there, it did become a strategy and strategic, but at the time it was, it was, I think it helped me understand what we were trying to do. And and then it, it made all the other Occupy work I was doing make sense in a different way. Tammy, why not? Why not just say a little bit more now about how when how it became strategic? Well, I think you know. So later on, when when we started, if not now, in 2014 during the Gaza War, um, you know, I think using public ritual as a form of protest um, allowed us to communicate our love and appreciation and beauty of Jewish ritual while expressing our discontent and anger um, at. at war, at the war in Gaza and at the uh, actions of the Israeli government and the Jewish community that supports it. And so I think, you know, that it became a very strategic tool. It was easily replicable. It was very visual and it was emotional too, you know, um, if not now started by saying the mourners Kaddish outside of Jewish institutions. And that's, that was a very emotional thing to do with a group of Jews. And I think for people for whom that resonated, it was such a powerful way to ex- to um to express anger in Jewish community um while also communicating we are Jews and no one's going to take that away from us and it's our Jewish voice that's saying that this is not this is not acceptable and we were saying the names of Palestinians who had died and Israelis who had died and being able to do all of that I think communicated so much without us having to like write it in a manifesto Dan, I want to kick it to you. And I also just to say for those of you who have not read the piece and who who don't know what, what we're talking about, maybe I should have prefaced it by saying that Occupy Yom Kippur happened almost 10 years ago and a week, <laughs> 10 years and a week ago. Um, and it was a full Yom Kippur service um, conducted entirely on the people's mic. Um, many people who were in attendance feel like it's uh, sort of a touchstone moment for them. It certainly was for me. Um, and Dan, I just want to kick it to you to just, I know that you were involved in the indie minion scene at the time and that this was very much an outgrowth of, of what you were already doing. Um, but I'd love to hear sort of your reflections basically on on the public ritual element of it and and what you were able to achieve with that service. So um, following up on what Tammy said, there's nothing the organized Jewish community hates more than Jews acting in concert without their permission. Right. Whenever Jews get together and do something that the that the institutions of organized Judaism didn't come up with themselves, they're pissed about it, either because you outshine them or because you're speaking uh, out of turn, because you are saying, no, there isn't a communal consensus that you get to speak in our name with. Uh, we actually have our own opinions and you don't speak for us. Uh, and I feel like uh, the backlash against that, as I mentioned earlier, has been severe. Right. Like, I think the, the organized Jewish community um, saw, particularly with with the advent of social media, what the power of, of you know, uh, of young Jewish people acting independently together could do. Um, and it terrified them. And so I feel like they've spent the last 10 years kind of uh, shoring things up so it can't happen again. Um, putting that aside, um, in terms of the ritual aspect of things, I mean, 
what can I say? Like back then, I was um, I was much more religiously observant and um, on a spiritual kick and felt connection in my davening, um, but felt like every shul that I went to was barren of that kind of um, zeal I was looking for in my davening and my um, my attempt to make God more um, more visible in my life. Visible, maybe not the right word. Present? Presence is the right word. Um, and so um, independent minions were the way that I found my way into that, right? Because there weren't the same strictures and it was a community come together of its own free volition, people uniting around common interests, common goals to build something together, even if temporarily, to serve that moment in time, right? Like the the temporary autonomous zone, as it were. Um, and so I really, you know, saw the the anarchistic nature of Indian Minions um, and saw it as a model both for um, communicating alternate ideas about Judaism to people, but also communicating ideas about anarchism to Jews. Um, and so, um, you know, uh, I had started, I think the first thing I did at Occupy um, was organize a Shabbat potluck, right? And I got a bunch of people to come, like a couple dozen people maybe, uh, and we all, you know, uh, ate dinner in the rain <laughs> and sang Miras. And, um, and I wasn't sure what was next. And then uh, having the, you know, I woke up in the morning. I remember now. I woke up in the morning and for some reason I just had like Isaiah in my head. For some reason I just had that quote, like, is this the fast God wants? And I was just thinking like, man, like, why are we doing this? Like Yom Kippur this way? Um, it's why isn't it real? Why aren't we standing with people who are struggling and suffering, you know? Um, and Occupy was really like this, this outcry, you know, like, uh, as I mentioned in the article or whatever, you know, my family, uh, my parents lost their house in 2008 when the economic downturn happened. And, you know, people may forget, but Occupy Wall Street was a direct response to the 2008 downturn, right? Where, you know, uh, a bunch of greedy investors came up with financial instruments that made them very rich while putting the entire market in a very precarious position. And then one day the bubble popped and everybody lost their shirts except them. <laughs> um, and so my parents lost their house of 20 years, the house that I grew up in. Uh, and um, very that energy, right? Like I literally wanted, every time I walked past a bank, I wanted to pick up like a newspaper stanchion and like throw it through the window. Um, and Occupy gave me a place to put that energy. Um, but I didn't, you know, like, I don't know, like, I think from Tammy's perspective also, like I was kind of alienated from the left to some degree because I was still identifying as like a progressive Zionist or whatever back then, uh, shamefully. Um, and so, um, and so it was hard for me to like find a place where I could um, fit in and be me and be an activist. and. I had to build myself, and that's I think that, that was right. I was trying to build the kind of activist community I wanted to be a part of in that moment because it didn't exist, and so I just went for it. 
Ariel, can I jump in? Yeah, I just, there's so much, I mean, this is so rich and important in terms of the, like the the trajectory. I, 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 I realized what felt important to also name is the Jewish left itself is not, it didn't begin 10 years ago, right? Like we know that it like has a long history and, um, and what, but what happened in those 10 years between 9-11 and Occupy Wall Street was a real, like, a real challenge in the full organizing landscape period. And then of course the, the, the crash. And I just, I, I, you know, and the crash precipitate it both like, you know, in some ways gave a, a major uh, hit to, to organizations like JFridge that by that point had been organizing for 20 years, the Jewish left very unapologetically, the Jewish left, but with an intergenerational like base, right? Like not just young people, right? Like it was intergenerational. It had been, it had been building off other generations of left Jewish organizing. And like the rest of the left was in a period of like, was in a challenging moment. Um, institutionally had, so we, I, we talked more about some of the more mainstream institutions, but JFRIDGE at the time was existed. Um, JVP existed, like these organizations did exist and had, you know, maybe a a downturn in themselves because there was a downturn period. And also because we had 10 years where all all organizing got silenced through the Patriot Act and through the ways in which the war on terror changed everything with respect to how we think about and talk about organizing. Um, And so just to just to I wanted to throw that in because because we also talk a lot at JFredge about ritual and and a public ritual and and theatrics and organizing um, and putting our Jewish our like full Jewish selves into our organizing publicly um, and we'd been we I think we did start to we always did it because we love theater uh, and so there'd always been like satyrs in the streets way before all of this but this was a new generation and a new moment for it it was a re-energized moment for that kind of public ritual and certainly also in about you know in 20 well when Eric Garner was was murdered by the NYPD like we had um, you know there were people using this tactic on all kinds of issues including on the question on the issue of police brutality um, you know years later and it, I think I hadn't I hadn't attributed Jay Fridge's usage of, of public ritual because we had a history of it, but also like for whatever reason to let's say this Occupy Yom Kippur moment. But it is interesting to think about the role that it played in like reinserting and like reclaiming the possibility that 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 offered. Um, and I just so just to like. salute that moment, salute that organizing in the sense of possibility in that moment to name that we were like preceded by generations of, of, of like, we have a long history as Jews fighting and organizing on the left. Um, and this, you know, Occupy was a, was a new and important moment, a watershed moment. We wouldn't have predicted. We couldn't have predicted, but that like, you had to be doing all that work leading up to it to get to that point where that whirlwind moment happened and then to seize it, you know? So, um, I just wanted to say that. Yeah. I would also say, you know, just to, to shout out that Dan, you were inspired by Arthur Waskow and the freedom Seder, um, during the civil rights movement. And, and certainly I think Waskow himself, who we interviewed for the oral history really saw this moment as a continuation of, of his work. And, and, you know, he was involved in Occupy in Philadelphia, was involved in, in Occupy Sukkot and stuff like that. So, um, you know, both like he himself wanna, was at work in the I apologize uh, to Audrey really quick. And so far as I did not mean in any way 
way diminish if it came across that I was Jay French's yeah. history and its value. Um, when I said, you know, like uh, the community I was looking for didn't exist, I didn't mean like that there was no place in the whole Jewish community. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't even mean it just, then. You know, um, <laughs> Nothing would have happened. Uh, whatever it's worth, Audrey says in the oral history that she was organizing in the desert for 15 years. So, I mean, I think I, I was organizing in the desert. It's because of the Patriot Act. I blame more on her. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we I still have like all these questions and we're rapidly running out of time. I, I want to read uh, one quote from uh, Amin Hussein, who's an organizer with Decolonize This Place and a founding member of Direct Action Front for Palestine. Uh, he says there was an active resistance to including Palestine. It was presented as a question of strategy that bringing in divisive issues weakens the reach and potential of our movement. I personally never thought that was the case. I thought that you have to do the opposite. Palestine is a litmus test. Palestine is a compass. The thing about Palestine from a perspective of anti-colonial struggle is that when you say free Palestine, you're saying everything's on the table. The approach to Palestine makes it clear that Occupy was never an anti-imperial movement. Um, so I wanted to read that also because I think I, I think in this regard, I, Dan, you've been focusing a lot on the backlash and like the way that the right wing is really consolidated. But I also think that the Jewish left has come a really long way in the last 10 years around Palestinian solidarity. And and I also think the left has um, overall, like I think it's very hard to imagine Occupy right now without any trace of Palestine solidarity. Um, I think that that is you know, super, super, um, interesting. But what's the first word? A fright free. Oh, free. Palestine. Um, and, and so I just wanted to discuss it. I mean, we talked to some JVP folks for the oral history. Their, their sense was like, we really tried to do something, but it didn't really gel. Um, you know, we have Max Berger kind of saying like, I don't remember anybody ever talking about Palestine. Um, and so I'm, I'm just sort of curious um, how you all think about how, because I still think that on some level, Occupy was really influential in what came next in terms of, of Palestine solidarity in the Jewish community uh, and on the left in general. And I didn't know if, if you all had any thoughts about that. You know, I think it's interesting. Like, I think Palestine was a hot button topic for the left before Occupy, very much so. I mean, my experience... Um, you know, I started university in um, in the fall of 2001 and, you know, the second intifada had just started. I was actually living in Israel at the time of the second intifada. And it was very much a focus of activism on my campus and in, as I said, the U.S. social forum. So I, I, I hear you saying, like, I can't imagine it happening with Palestine not being included. But I think I would have said the same thing then, um, you know, a year or two earlier. and so. Um, the question to me, I, I wonder if the question is more the second half of what Amin was saying, which is that it wasn't an anti-imperialist movement. Like it wasn't focused on anti-war. Whereas like the decade before when we were going, you know, when the Iraq war was starting and Afghanistan war was starting, like the left was really focusing on anti-imperialism. And I think that switch was actually a lot of why, because it was this focus, it was a, it was a shift. It was like an uprising and shift around class. And of course, so many other things that came in, but it precisely was a shift away from like the anti-imperialist left that like is what had been fledgling and deserted and all the other words we've said. Um, and I think that had a lot more to do with it than, um, than maybe we talked about. 
I mean, I personally obviously remember it being a very big issue at Occupy. Um, and it was a very big issue on the left uh, at the time, for sure. And I don't feel like there's ever been a point in my life where it hasn't been, really. As long as I've been politically conscious, it's been an issue that people have been very fired up about. Um, but I agree with with uh, Tammy. like. When I went to Occupy, as I said, it was because my parents lost their house, right? Like I wasn't there for any other reason except like there are people who are losing their homes, who are losing everything they have, who can't afford to live. What the fuck are we doing about it as a society? Part of my French. Uh, and so, um, you know, uh, I wasn't there for anything else. And it wasn't like I didn't care about other issues. It's just that. You know, from the perspective that I had at the time, you could either have everybody united around a common goal in which they all agreed on, or you could have everybody trying to unite around lots of different goals they don't all agree on and never getting anything done together. And like in retrospect, you know, like that comes from a privileged place as a person who doesn't have to worry about the things that these other people who were bringing their struggles to occupy had to worry about. Right. And in retrospect, I feel like a jerk. And I feel like the, you know, the way that I perceived of the situation and how to go about addressing it was not was not the right way to do it. You know, um, but I, I think that there's. There's values in both approaches, right? You have to have a way of uniting people around common goals, and you also have to make a space for people to be themselves and bring their issues to the table. Because how can we show solidarity to each other around one another's issues if we don't bring all of our issues to the table? Audrey, you don't have to weigh in. I just I couldn't tell if you were going to. I'm 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 I don't want to not weigh in because I, like I don't I think it's important to speak to it and so I'm just thinking about the fact that it's so much has changed in the last 10 years around Palestine that I'm not sure how much Occupy had to do or didn't have to do with how the Jewish left has shifted on Palestine I guess that's what I would say and then also accept that you know what we do know is the growth of if not now and the way which which is a direct outgrowth of Occupy and how that in and of itself created more of an ecosystem around like between like JVP has like, you know, there's like there's there's a there's a there was a new and young player like in town that kind of shifted and agitated in new ways that I think changed the conversation in the Jewish world. Um and JVP also grew like grew exponentially in this in this period. So I just think that there's like Definitely the Jewish organizations working from the left on Palestine grew in the 10 years since Occupy. The impact of Occupy on that, I'm not 100% sure. How the conversation has shifted generally in the Jewish world around Palestine, I think there's so many there's so many factors that, that lead to that. I, I've been really like scratching my head to figure out the Occupy connection. Um, I mean, I, I think. I think to a certain extent, the connection seems really apparent in terms of the relationships that formed yeah. at that time. And I also think that just a lot of Jewish organizers cut their teeth uh, at Occupy. I mean, yeah. and and I think also it's what Tammy was talking about, about finally finding a way to enter the left um, or like finding, uh, you know, I, I think Yotam also writes about this in, in some of his work and just in terms of like um, feeling like those two parts were sort of split and then finding a way to to be a Jew on the left um, and have that be a part of things um, in a different kind of way where like maybe there was more alienation before. Um, I think 
it's also worth mentioning that we've just witnessed like a decade of some of the most brutal treatment by Israel of Gaza. Yeah. And yeah. it's been a horrifying awakening for a lot of people watching the situation there play out ever since the withdrawal in 2006 and seeing how um, how that's gone um, has been uh I don't know, educating about what Israel's uh, ultimate goals are and whether they jive with our own as American Jews. Um, and um, I think that that awakening has reached a significant part of the public. But as I mentioned before, I think that that engendered a backlash that has you know, resulted in the Jewish community in pouring all of its resources into doing everything it can to, um, to either you know, re-educate Jewish children to not want to, you know, pursue their own um, Judaisms uh, or to um, or to demonize those of us who have through things like, I don't know, like the Canary Mission and all that sort of stuff. Right. Like like just pouring money into turning young, passionate Jewish leaders who care about the future of the Jewish community and Judaism and Israel and Palestine and turning us all into monsters and, you know, enemies of the people. And I think that 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 has done more than anything else to wake up even more people to how insidious the situation is and that it needs to be addressed. Yeah. Um, well, so I just want to mention that if you're watching and you have a question, now's the time we can take, uh, you know, probably one or two questions at the end of this uh, event. I, I want to segue while, while questions may be coming in um, to uh, just the, the, I mean, we talked a little bit about, if not now, we talked about the kind of, um, reconstitution of J. Fred, Tammy, in, in the, um, in the oral history, you kind of talk about a number of different things that kind of spun off directly from Occupy following. Um, and I, I won't go into that, that whole thing right now. I'll read this one quote, cause I love this quote, um, from Shailene Rodriguez, who, uh, as an organizer would take back the Bronx and decolonize this place. She said, you got fuck boys, you got people with differing politics who are dogmatic, you got egos and characters and narcissists and sociopaths. It's always the bag. And the minute it happens, it's already over. NGOs are already plotting. They're already writing a grant. Now, I know that um, not, not all of these organizations that we're talking about are nonprofits. A lot of them are, but there has been a huge expansion of Jewish institutional life that we've discussed. And I sort of wonder, um, I sort of wonder a little bit about um, how we think about sort of like the the way that this energy got channeled, and sort of like whether we can see something more akin to Occupy in the future. Um, oh. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, funny things are coming in on the chat, and I got a little distracted. Um, but yeah, just to think about like how this organization has been channeled, certainly in the Jewish world, it's been channeled like very institutionally. Um, and I just wanted to hear if anyone had any thoughts about that and any thoughts about what the potentialities are for like different structures of organizing coming out of Occupy. Tammy, I don't know if you want to start, but um, I'll call you. Uh 
Well, I just have to say that the comment that just came through our chat is from the person I started organizing with on campus 20 years ago around Israel and Palestine. So it, that's the, the reaction you're seeing on my face. That was pretty incredible. Um, you know, I think that the energy, the energy of Occupy, Jewish or not, was channeled into so many different directions and so many different ways, which is the true success of Occupy. Um, and it was a massive networking moment. And I think, you know, I have so many things I could say about this. One is, you know, uh, with Movement NetLab, one of our, our most popular frameworks is the movement cycle. And movements go in cycle ne- cycles necessarily. We need them to. Um, we need our moments of expansion and our moments of reflection. And while I do think there's a nonprofit industrial complex that can take advantage of movement moments, it's also part of the natural cycle as we have these explosive moments. And then we have the moments where we build from there and we build the more stable and solid programs that do need resources in order to survive. Um, I also think that, um, you know, the, the, if not now story, which is that, you know, it was a con- collaboration of people who had come through J street, U, which had start, you know, which I had worked on years earlier, um, as well as Occupy folks, as well as folks that I had grown up with for my whole life. And, um, and, but there was a lot of learnings from Occupy that informed how we did things. And then another thing that I want to say, which is somewhat related and somewhat not, is that the, the legacy of Occupy is also, you know, every year I do a huge, well, until recently, I do a huge Seder and the Seder is for, you know, Certainly a lot of my Jewish friends who've been deeply alienated from the Jewish world for most of their lives, but also a lot of non-Jewish friends. And it's becoming a really important ritual in like the activist community that I run in. And I think there's some Jewish ritual is such a like beautiful thing to invite people into. And I think that's another part of the power of the way that Jewish ritual became a part of protest because it's 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 beautiful and we can invite folks into it. And you know, when we when Occupy Wall Street's one year anniversary landed on Rosh Hashanah and we didn't occupy Rosh Hashanah, like how could we not? First of all, I mean it was like almost forced on us by the calendar. But second of all, it was like a ritual that we got to invite people into. And so for me, the legacy of this, because I left the Jewish institutional world, but the legacy is that I while I simultaneously left the Jewish institutional world, I like engaged my community, Jewish and not, in Jewish ritual and Jewish life. And way that I never had before. And I think that that like, that was because of relationships. So, you know, that's not really an answer about nonprofits, but except to say that I, I, um, and that's how we built, that can be a way to build and sustain movements in the cycles that we have. And we've had so many movement moment cycles, like in the last 10 years, that answer was all over the place. Sorry. I liked all of it. I mean, actually it relates to a question that, um, some that is coming in actually on the chat, like, I think what I'm seeing in the chat is some confusion basically about like what we're talking about when we talk about the Jewish left. Maybe I should have like backtracked and that's me being a bad moderator um, and also be- being used to running Jewish currents uh, events um, and also sort of like what is what is the positionality of these groups? I think that the Jewish left is already a squishy term just to like quickly lay this groundwork very late in this event. Um, you know, I think for many of us, it just describes kind of a collection of loose affiliations and organizations that, you know, hold uh, certain kinds of commitments around like racial and economic justice, but also around Israel-Palestine. I think that uh, you used to see a lot more groups that were calling themselves progressive and who were kind of like outwardly Zionist or even like hardline Zionists. I think you less and less see that now. Um, I think there's like a, a lot less 
I don't know, maybe I'll just use the word tolerance on, on the left for like that, that positionality. Palestine. <laughs> yeah. For, for the progressive except Palestine position. I think a lot of those people um, probably because of that positionality identify a little bit more centrist on some level or just end up becoming aligned in that, in that direction. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, but that's a really good question because it kind of like feeds into what has happened in the last 10 years and the way in which, I mean, like, I don't know what we would have said if somebody was like, what is the Jewish left at the time that Occupy was happening? I think that would have been like an even more squishy question um, because some of these organizations and nonprofits and groups that we, that many of us think of as the Jewish left were kind of in flux or not even created yet or um, a, a little bit depressed. But yeah, I want to give Andrew, um, Audrey and Dan a chance to weigh in on some of this stuff. Do you want to go, Dan? I, have um, I mean, I agree with the with the, I, uh, the the notion of it being kind of squishy. Um, you know, for me, it runs the gamut from, um, you know, Jewish socialists in America in the early 1900s coming over from from, you know, uh, the the Russian Empire to, um, you know, uh, the yippies in the 60s and all the way up through, you know, like uh, uh, JVP and J French today. Right. Like, but it's not just institutional and it's not just communities um, and individuals. I think there's also like an ideological current. And I think that that ideological current is trying to get back to the, the essence of what Judaism is ultimately, even in a non-religious context, which is the notion that we are all created in the image of God and that you're obligated to love your fellow as yourself. And so how we express that in the world is our Judaism, right? Like the way that we we love our fellow, whether that's fighting for them to not be evicted from their apartments or it's ensuring that they have um, health care or that they are not being um, harassed at work or whatever these, you know, things are like, these are just continuations of that same current. And, you know, um, you can either, you know, you can be a halachic Jew or you can, you know, be a cultural Jew or whatever. But, you know, that's the essence for me is like if you care about um, about your fellow human being and showing them the kind of honor you would show the creator were you face to face with the creator, then you're doing it right. And I don't care about anything else. Dan, I love that. Um, I will say, because I was going to, you know, pipe in and say sometimes we get a bit jargony on the left. And precisely, I think, you know, to Tammy's point earlier about like, I didn't know one asked me my credent, my lefty credentials when I st stepped into Occupy. I think that was a real gift. Um, on the one hand, on the other hand, we know that like it's it's hard to remember. But but the fact that during I would say the answer to what is the Jewish left is, is the question is, how would you define what is the left period? And then and then ask yourself, like, is there is there a sort of segment of the Jewish community that is engaged in that um, in, intentionally engaged in that work as Jews and 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 in solidarity with groups across 
across communities um, doing this work because the left is internationalist. The left is across borders. It's across difference. Um, The left is about all the things that I think, you know, um, Dan spoke to about like basic needs, right? Like, do you, you know, and today we take it for granted, like when we talk about democratic socialists, as if that was like such an, you know, it's about people having their needs met, basic needs met and being able to thrive. And like, those are, you know, when we talk about what Jay French does, we, you know, we organize alongside, we are Jewish we are organizing Jews alongside our neighbors to fight for New York City, where we all have the freedom and resources to thrive. That's socialism, or that's like some ver- like that's some sort of vision of like whether you want to use that language or not. And preoccupy that was not in common like that. That was you couldn't say that word out loud. You couldn't talk about taking down capitalism or racial capitalism without like people looking. You know what? what? So it's become the, the Overton window has shifted so much. Not to use another jargony term, shifted so much. As in, what is the like? What are the parameters of debate in the Jewish world? We were we were able to infuse what were already some pre-existing and what were and then you know pre-existing and also new spaces for Jews to come together as Jews, as part of a wider left. And that is, um, I think, the real gift of the last 10 years. And to speak, I think, also just to Tammy's point on, you know, it's not just, right, Occupy, there was the Arab Spring. Always remember, there was the Arab Spring. Then there's Occupy. Then there was, you know, Black Lives Matter. Then there was the climate justice movement, right? And the and then the students um, fighting against gun violence and, and, and women's, you know, the women's, mar- so, so many identity-based and, you know, other types of um, just critical, pieces of this matrix of these different systems of oppression that are all part of this, like part and parcel of what is keeping all of us down have had their moments that have been like, um, you know, have infused the movements that we're all trying to support, you know, with a certain level of power and symbolism and um, just more energy. And I think those of us engaged on the Jewish left have, have, I think, encountered those at different points over the last 10 years and do so full, you know, in some form or another as Jews, um, and try to bring others along with us, I think. Oh, you're, you're muted again, Ariel. Sorry. I I can't believe we're still doing this like two years later. It's like, well, anyway, um, Anyway, I think that's a great place to, to stop. Um, and I'm just so grateful to have the three of you here and and to witness the amazing work that, that you all have done and continue to do. Um, and thanks to everyone who has joined us. Um, please visit jewishcurrents.org if you want to learn more about any of the stuff that we're talking about. I'm sure uh, if you use our search bar, you can find something about it uh, at Jewish Currents. Uh, We are a quarterly magazine uh, as well as a website that publishes articles, new articles weekly. Uh, We also have a newsletter you can sign up for as well as a podcast. We got all the stuff. So check out jewishcurrents.org. I know you've already seen the Haymarket spiel, so I'm I'm definitely not going to get into that. Um, and definitely read the oral history if you have not. Um, thank you all so much for being here with us. Um, and uh, yeah, have a good night. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.